Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. you have heard the argument against the mode of baptism, which is usually called sprinkling, that the Greek word for baptism, or washing in this case, always means to dip or to immerse. So why do so many Christians not practice that particular mode of baptism? Some do. There's nothing wrong with it, but many don't. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. That's spurned by a Listener question on that word, the Greek word for baptism. Part of the questions we'll be dealing with here as we go through listener email and the issues, etc. Comment line, our email address, talkback at issuesetc.org and the comment line, 618-223-8382. Let's begin with Michael. Thank you for your recent two-part series on Luther and mental illness with Dr. Stephen Saunders. So much to digest from these two segments. But I think there's a theological point that needs to be clarified. I thought I heard Dr. Saunders misdefine subjective justification. Pastors use that term objective justification purposefully, but we also can contrast that to subjective, which means I feel good about my salvation. He said that at about the 2215 mark. Subjective justification has nothing to do with feelings. Then I went back and listened again so I could give this exact quote in this email and not just what was sticking in my memory. And that's when I realized that Dr. Saunders was not using the rhetorical device of an ellipsis, leaving out a word to avoid unnecessary repetition. He was not saying pastors use that term objective justification purposefully, but we also can contrast that to subjective justification. Rather, he was saying that we can contrast that to being subjective. Given that subjective justification is a specific theological term with a specific definition for the sake of Dr. Saunders' reputation and for the sake of right teaching for the listeners of the show, I think it's important to make that clarification. Thank you all again for bringing such thoughtful and insightful programming to us, and thank you for listening and the email, Michael. Well, Michael, uh, I think you raise a good point because good theology never benefits from imprecise language. Theologians have always tried to be as precise in their language as possible. And so I think your second listening to Dr. Saunders was actually accurate. He was not contrasting objective and subjective justification and then therefore saying that subjective justification is about feeling justified. It has nothing to do with feelings. You're absolutely right. He was contrasting objective justification with subjective feelings, not subjective Justification, And if you look at the context of his comments there, he's saying people who don't, they may know that they're justified, but they don't feel that they're justified. Some emotional state, behavior, or incident in their life has robbed them of that subjective feeling, not of justification itself. And I think he would be the first one, and I think in the context he says, feelings are should be a, a presumed to be deceptive. 
they're guilty until proven innocent. If feelings do not accurately reflect the state of affairs in your life, much less the state of affairs between you and God. And so Christians need to always be suspect of their feelings. Like I say, they're guilty until proven innocent. Sometimes they can reflect reality and oftentimes they don't. I think that was his greater point, but thank you for pointing that out because we want to be accurate in our language. By the way, uh, Dr. Saunders was not only the guest for that particular interview, he's also the author of The Issues, Etc., a book of the month for October, Martin Luther on Mental Health. You'll find this book at our website, issuesetc.org, or just call Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040. Can you give us quick definitions of objective and subjective justification? Yes, but I'm going to get called on it no matter what I do, because it's this is something that Lutherans have been debating for a long, long time. It's not two different justifications. One is meant to describe the fact that with Christ's death and resurrection, every sinner who's ever lived has had their sins paid for. And Christ's death really does declare every sinner forgiven and justified. Objective justification. Yet we don't just teach that we are justified by grace. The whole formula is we are justified by grace, that's objective justification, through faith in Jesus Christ. So subjective justification is the through faith part of that formula. Has God reconciled the entire world to himself in Christ Jesus? Yes, he has. But not all men believe this, and therefore rob themselves of the benefits of that justification. So subjective justification is when that justification is applied particularly to an individual when they are brought to faith by God's word. Mark of Middle Tennessee, I have someone annoying me with the insistence that the Greek word baptizo requires total submergence for baptism to be valid. When I look at Strong's Concordance, it does say submerge and immerse. I'm certain we have a valid reason for applying water or submersing. Can you help me with a response to this person? Thanks for listening. Thanks for the email, Mark. So first of all, yes, if you look in any lexicon, Greek lexicon, you look up the word baptizo, that's just the verb to baptize or I baptize in that case. If you look that up, it will say to dip or immerse in water. That's what it means. That is its base meaning. It's based on a different verb, bapto, which means to dip. So that's its base meaning. That doesn't mean it's the only meaning that it can have. So strictly speaking, the word means to dip or to immerse or to submerge. It, it's even in Greek literature used to describe when a ship sinks and goes underwater. So that's its basic meaning but it can also have other kind of corollary meanings. And in this case, the corollary meaning means to wash. So does that mean that everything that is washed via the verb baptizo has to go fully underwater? No. Here's my little proof text. That's Mark 7, 4. 
where Mark, in an aside, is describing the practices of the Pharisees. I'll just read it to you from verse 1. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. And now when they saw that some of the disciples eat bread with hands defiled, that is, unwashed, they found fault. For the Pharisees, here's the aside beginning verse 3, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands. There's the word wash. In a special way that's ceremonially, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come in from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. There it is again. And there are many other things which they have received and hold to, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and here's the kicker, dining couches. Now, think of yourself in first century Palestine. You can probably rustle up enough water to immerse a cup, a dish, maybe even a copper vessel. That's something you cook in. But where average Jewish village are you going to find enough water to go completely immerse a dining couch? So it doesn't always have to mean completely immerse. It can, maybe even usually does, but you have to basically kind of contend that Jews, when they washed, ritually washed their dining couches, they dragged them out of the house, took them down to a body of water sufficient to completely immerse the dining couch, did that, and then brought them back up to the house again. Probably not happening. What it's, what it's talking about there is ritually washing. They, they washed them with water. They washed them off with water. The other way we can also respond to this is the biggest incidents we have of mass baptisms are John the Baptist in the Jordan. If you've ever been to the Jordan, there's not a spot in it conveniently, convenient to big crowds where you could completely immerse a full-grown man. So it is likely that even John himself, when baptizing the masses, was they were certainly going down into the river, but it's highly likely that they went into the water and he baptized them by applying water from above rather than completely immersing them. Is there anything wrong with immersion baptism? Absolutely not, but it's not necessary. This is Mike in Kentucky. I just read the most recent issue of Godestines regarding the 1517 website. And I'm just curious if you all have read that and what your opinion is regarding Fritz Eckhart's opinions on the 1517 website. Thanks and God's blessings. I have read Fritz's, I don't know when it came out. It came out in the last couple of weeks. I, I read his article on it, a rather lengthy article. I agree with a lot of the things he has to say. Uh, the question, Mark, that's left there, even by Fritz, and it's it, it, to me it's the same question, Mark, is, is the 1517 organization, does it claim to be a Lutheran organization or does it claim to be, my term, a pan-reformation organization. That is Lutheran, Reformed, whatever brand you have of the Reformation. If you look at the website, nowhere does it claim to be Lutheran. It's not a Lutheran organization. It's a nonprofit organization that exists. This is their statement. To defend and declare the good news that you are forgiven and free on account of Christ alone, which almost any Protestant would agree And that's how they've structured themselves. They seem to be kind of a pan-Protestant, pan-Reformed 
Reformation organization. I've even spoken with one of their scholars. This was years ago, and I was being critical because I, I was like, you guys claim to be Lutheran. And he said, no, we don't. We have Lutherans in the organization, but we do, as an organization, we do not claim to be Lutheran or to represent confessional Lutheranism. And that kind of cleared it up for me. So it's got people from all Reformed traditions as contributors. Some of them are confessional Lutherans. John Bombaro, John Warwick Montgomery, Adam Francisco. It's a mixed bag. And are there problems there? Absolutely. I think Fritz points it out in his little essay. The biggest problem that probably needs to be addressed there is their senior scholar in residence is Stephen Paulson, who is by no means, by any definition, a confessional Lutheran. He claims to be a Lutheran, but barely by his own complete idiosyncratic definition of what Lutheran means. Certainly not a confessional Lutheran. And I would say, based upon some of the things he's written, like Jesus committed his own personal sin, recently pitting Moses against the New Testament, at the very least an extremely liberal Christian in every way. When we come back, we'll have more listener email, the issues, et cetera, comment line on this Thursday, October the 26th. That email address, talkback at issuesetc.org. The comment line, 618-223-8382. Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the Support Donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. The Gospels report Jesus saying some rather shocking things. For instance, in Luke 14, he tells his disciples, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. How can Jesus say such things? What about some of the other more difficult teachings of Scripture? Do you have questions about them? Well, we answer many of these in the October issue of The Lutheran Witness. Pick up your copy today at cph.org slash witness. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Luther had Wartburg. We have Collinsville. You're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press's award-winning curriculum is used by homeschoolers all over the world. Their classical Christian education materials provide everything you need for kindergarten through 12th grade, including books, guides, lesson plans, and instructional videos. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Criticism. I just had to call in to respond to this week's installment of Never Trump Drivel from Terry Mattingly. Compliments. I love the interviews and insights because they help me battle the slings and arrows of outrageous theology and practice. Clarification. Is there a point where, without baptism, infants go to heaven, and after which time they go to hell if they're not baptized? The Issues Etc. comment line, 618-223-8382. Give me some time. 
Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're going through listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. For the break, you were talking about Dr. Stephen Paulson. We have made attempts to schedule an interview with him on more than one occasion, but to no avail. Brian, longtime listener in Johnstown, PA. I'd love to hear you explain the justifications presented within the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America's social statements, their policy documents, wherein they've accepted LGBTQ plus relationships and then explain the errors in their reasoning. Well, that's a big order and we probably, that could be something we could probably turn into a series with guests. So we'll take that under consideration. For those not in the in the know, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America spent the last two decades, three decades, going through the motions of debating human sexuality. And I say going through the motions because they knew exactly where they wanted to go. But they had to make it look like they were debating it so that they could say, oh, we, we've reconsidered these questions. We've delved deeper into the biblical text and we've discovered, surprise, surprise, that anything goes that any virtually any relationship that can somehow fall under the umbrella of love is a God-pleasing relationship. That started simple. It started with the question of same-sex relationships and then very quickly kind of morphed into any relationship whatsoever. I think in the average, if you woke up the average ELCA bishop in the middle of the night and said, what do you think of polyamory? They'd say, we're good to go. So they've, they've justified it with the old trick, which is the spirit is not done talking. The spirit has more to say to us and we need to listen to the spirit. So they've justified it by blaming the Holy Spirit for their deviation from Holy Scripture. And they've essentially adopted a second, maybe even a third or fourth source of authority beyond scripture and that is whatever they think the holy spirit is saying to their church body so here's just a paragraph from one of their statements the social statement on human sexuality it is only within the last decades that this church that is the elca has begun to understand in new ways the need of same gendered oriented individuals to seek relationships of lifelong companionship and commitment as well as public accountability and legal support for those communities This has led to differing understandings about the place of such relationships within the Christian community. You better believe it. But while they debated these things, it was really just kind of a a mock debate. One side was debated, and essentially in a very quiet way, those who had any objections toward the direction they were going, which was just following the culture, just quietly left. There are reasons why this church body has shrunk and shrunk and shrunk. And their position now is essentially anything goes. But their main justification is the Holy Spirit told us to do this. Because, you know, they can't go to the Bible. They dismissed the Bible passages that address sexuality apart from one man, one woman, lifelong marriage. They've dismissed those long ago. Why go to the Bible now they're hearing from the Spirit apart from Scripture, and they claim that the Holy Spirit is telling them through their study and their, like I said, going through the motions of debating these things, that this is the direction they need to go. Oddly, they took a Lutheran concept, turned it completely on its head when they came up with this really clever idea of what they called the bound conscience. 
Now, see, usually your conscience is bound by the word of God. That's Luther's concept. The conscience is bound by the word of God. Luther would have said, I'm conscience bound to teach in these things because God's word is very clear on these things. They took that, turned it on its head and said, you can be conscience bound that homosexuality is okay. We then as a church body have to respect your bound conscience. What they really meant was an unbound conscience or a conscience unbound by the word of God, but they called it the bound conscience. So if you delve deeply into it, you'll discover that what the ELCA has become a master of is taking Lutheran concepts and completely evacuating all their meaning and just redefining them all together. They sound like they're still using the same language, all the Lutheran jargon, but none of it means what you think it means. It means what they want it to mean. We go from a longtime listener in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, to a running listener in Oregon. Jim writes, thank you for acknowledging your supporting churches, including Peace Lutheran Church in Chehalis, Washington. Unfortunately, Todd mispronounces the name of the city. It is Chehalis, not Chehalis. I'll accept responsibility for that. It, where, where am I mispronouncing it? Is it on Chehalis? I think it's hay, like it's, H-A-Y. I think we say, and then he says we say C-H-E-H-A-L-I-S. Chehalis. Yeah. Shahalas. So we need to go back into that spot and just yeah. I replace said that to Craig. That Craig, will you find that? I think I sent one a couple of weeks ago too, Craig. Didn't we have another mispronunciation? I sent you to find out the number on that spot. But we have to wait for my voice to clear up because <laughs> yeah, it, it's, sound, it's, right? it will sound very bad. Yeah. So yeah, Craig will find those and we'll straighten those out. And then uh, Jim also writes. Also recently, you've been speaking about a Lutheran view on depression. Isn't a Lutheran view a biblical view? If so, wouldn't it be better to speak about a biblical view? To speak about a Lutheran view on any issue can make it sound like it is a view that goes beyond the scriptural teaching. Thanks for your consideration, and thanks for the good work, concludes Jim in Oregon. Jim, thanks for listening in Oregon. You're right. The Lutheran view is the biblical view, but not all people understand this. So if we were to say the biblical view, then, well, the Baptists can claim to have a biblical view of depression, and the the Catholics claim to have a biblical view of depression. The reason that and we, we were not the origins of this. I, the title of uh, Pastor Peppercorn's book, isn't he a doctor now? Yes, Dr. Peppercorn's book was chosen by either him or however he got it published originally. But I think I'm going to defend a Lutheran view of depression because if you look at the book that Todd wrote, it is particularly Lutheran. It works with the framework of Lutheran theology, Lutheran understanding of vocation, Lutheran understanding of spiritual care. A Baptist says we've got a biblical view of depression, but a Baptist isn't going to point you to the sacraments as one of God's ways of administering spiritual care to the depressed, and the Lutheran most certainly will. And then, of course, a Catholic will do this. A Catholic view of depression would say, avail yourself of the sacraments, but it's going to be a different sacramental system with a far different meaning than a Lutheran would have. So I think it's good to clarify and say this is a Lutheran view of, of depression. Marilyn asks a great question. How can I get a free copy of Luther's Small Catechism? Oh, can we send them one? Yes, we have run a spot here. Oh, we do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't listen during breaks. Yeah, no, I don't. Send an email to talk back at Issues ETC, and we'll send you It's a little paper pamphlet of Luther's Small Catechism. Yes, Absolutely free. Of course, you got to put your name and address. 
in the email, right? Yes. Here's a question from Sarah in Wisconsin. Uh, hello to the team at the best podcast out there. Well, thank you, Sarah. As the Red Kettle season approaches, I wonder if you would be able to address the work of the Salvation Army and whether a confessional Lutheran can support them in good conscience. I believe we did a program with Dr. Alvin Schmidt. I wouldn't be able to tell you when. It was 2017. 2017 on the Salvation Army because he had written a book on, what was it called? A really long titled book. Well, you had the Zondervan Guide to Cults, the yes. old cults, religions, and then there was another book too. So he basically wrote an encyclopedia of religious organizations and parachurch organizations and other religious associations. And one of the things that he studied there was the Salvation Army. He really an encyclopedia, which is kind of, if you, if you knew Dr. Alvin Schmidt, that's what he was. He was kind of a walking, talking encyclopedia. And he wrote the chapter there, and we had a conversation with him back in 2017. Yeah, go to issuesetc.org, type in Alvin Schmidt or Salvation Army in the search engine on the right-hand side. Gene Edwardsville, Illinois, hello, Issues, etc. Great program today with Dr. Rosaria Butterfield. I will be listening to this again and sharing it with others. And I found two of her books in audio in my library's Hoopla app and put them in my queue. I love Issues, etc. And we love you and thank you for listening in, Edwardsville, Gene. Why did it take us so long to get Dr. Butterfield on the program? Because not only was she, she a great guest, it was, I don't think we've had that kind of a conversation about the Christians placing culture before. And we've had many conversations, but hers was just to kind of take apart those five lies that the culture tells us and how the point that she makes that I think is so powerful is that in broader evangelicalism, those lies are alive and well. She even said at one point in the course of the conversation, you know, your feminism is dead. The transgender movement has killed feminism. The only place where feminism is still alive and kicking is in American evangelicalism. And I think she's right. When we come back, it's time to look forward to Sunday morning. According to the one-year lectionary, we'll be looking forward to Reformation Sunday with Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. In a world awash with all sorts of information, opinions, and ideas, there is still a place where God's Word is the central and only focus. Messiah Lutheran Church, 801 North Madison, Lebanon, Illinois. At 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, God's people gather there to listen to Him. There you will find His words of law and gospel, and of course, our Lord's Holy Supper. Bible classes focus on the Bible and the Lutheran confessions. 
Come, listen, believe, and live, and check out our website at messiahlebanon.org. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of His family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His way.